commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Tincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may be for For she had been a patron of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Ephenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Now, what we know about Phoebe is that she was a servant of the church at Senquia. Senqui was a, a town very close to Corinth. Paul, I believe, was in Corinth when he wrote Romans. And so he had contact, I'm assuming, with Phoebe. He knew that she was coming to Rome. He's encouraging them to receive her in the Lord like he would a saint, help her in whatever she needs. And he's just really speaking highly of her. We do things like that sometimes. We would contact a brother. I, I, I remember this was very really emotional for me. There was a Brazilian couple who ended up moving to Denver and they they were actually nearly on the ground in Denver before I knew they were moving. And so the day they arrived, I contacted a couple people to find out a church near where they would be that would be helpful. I talked to an elder there about 10 o'clock on Friday morning. And by 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon, there were, there were brethren from that congregation who were with them, helping them find a place to live, working with them, uh, and, and just so so helpful, amazingly helpful. I mean, they, they just took them in immediately and, and had no notice. And it was just so helpful. I mean, it was such an encouragement that couple. They're actually moving back to Denver and going to be worshiping with them again. A good couple in Brazil. And... Uh, but, but just a wonderful thing. It's so encouraging that you can find brethren in places. I didn't know any of these brethren. Uh, but but they, we have mutual acquaintances and so forth. Good church, evidently. So that was very, very helpful. And, and so this is the kind of thing he's doing. Being he's traveling there, he's giving her kind of a letter of recommendation here. She's a, she's a good person. She's been a helper of many. She's helped me a lot. So I want you to help her. I want you to receive her and encourage her. Um, I, my speculation is that she was carrying this letter. You know, never post office quite so easily. So, uh, you know, you often like somebody take something. Uh, my guess is Paul knew Phoebe was on her way to Rome, wrote the letter and says, here, deliver this when you go. And the letter includes this section about her telling the brethren receive her well. She's a good Christian woman, a servant of the church in St. Crete. He, he starts then a series of sentences, starting in verse 3. He starts 16 sentences in a row with the word greet. Um, depends on how you divide them and all that, but, but, but that he's, he's sending his greetings to brethren in Rome. Now, you might think about that a minute. That's not so common in the letters that Paul would be greeting so many people. In fact, there are letters in which he doesn't greet anybody. And this one, he just greets everybody in, that he, you could imagine. There's like 26 names he mentions. Wonder why he sent so many greetings to the church of Rome. But you take a letter like Ephesians, where he'd been for years at Ephesus, he doesn't greet anybody. I think I know. You don't have to agree with this. 
But if you're writing to a church where you know everybody, you better not start calling names. You're going to leave somebody out. But if you're writing to a church you've never been, and you've got a reasonable possibility of mentioning everybody's name you know in Rome, then it's more reasonable. So I think he writes the greetings here because he actually can write a greeting to everybody he knows that's in Rome. Uh, so he greets Prisca and Aquila, his fellow workers in Christ Jesus. We know so much about them. A traveling couple. They're so much encouraged. Paul, he stayed with them in Corinth, moved with them to Ephesus, or went tra- traveled with them to Ephesus, and so forth. They, they've been a real help to him in a lot of ways. They, I don't know what this involved, but they risked their own necks for his life. Uh, that's saying a lot. You know, they, they evidently exposed themselves to the peril of death to save Paul. Uh, and so Paul thanked them, so did all the churches of the Gentiles. Evidently, the church was meeting in their home, and that's not the only place where the church had met in their home. They, they opened up their home for the church to meet. That would be, that'd be a commitment, and uh, you appreciate them in that. He says, Greet Eponidas, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. And uh, that just starts him into a whole list of people that he sends greetings to. But comments and questions on these first five verses. Okay. Uh, how about six to sixteen? Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus, and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the among the apostles, who are also in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus. My beloved, greet appeals approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countryman. Greet those who are in the household of Narcissus, who are of the Lord. Greet Trachinus and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet who with the beloved uh, Persis, who labored in much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother are mine. Greet Asyncritus, Legion, Hermas, Hazabas, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philogius and Julia, Nurus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, the churches of Christ Wow, it's a lot of people. He says a lot of complimentary things about these people. That question. What's the holy kiss? We'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so he uh, he says he, he has a lot of complimentary things to say about each one of them, and uh, but he kind of runs out. It looks to me like, and by fourteen and fifteen, he just throws in some more names. I mean, it's difficult to finally come up with a unique, complimentary thing to say about that many people. Um, but but he, he obviously has esteem for the great Mary, who worked hard, worked hard for you. I wonder what Paul would say about us. Greet Adonikas and Junius, my kinsmen. I assume that means fellow Jews, possibly relatives, but I'm assuming fellow Jews. And my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles who were also in Christ before me. So who converted before Paul. This phrase, they were outstanding among the apostles, is a challenge. It most likely means they were outstanding apostles. 
Now it's possible, it could be translated, the apostles thought they were outstanding. That is a possibility, but the more likely translation, they were outstanding apostles. So really a challenge to us, because we see such an emphasis in the New Testament on the twelve apostles. And Matthias, taking Judas's place, and Paul, as the apostle to the Gentiles. And we see that as kind of an definitive proof. And then we start coming across some other passages, and some of them clearly are like apostles of churches. They've been said by churches, like in 2 Corinthians 8. But then you start coming to some other passages, like Galatians 1.19 that calls James an apostle. You can read it differently, but it seems most likely to be calling James an apostle. And you come across, I think the one that kind of was the straw that broke the camel's back for me was First Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Talking about himself, Silas and Timothy. And difficult to say they were just apostles of the churches, because he says it's apostles of Christ. Maybe it's an editorial we, but eh, that seems a little weak. I don't know. I've come to think that there may be a larger group that could be referred to as apostles. I'm not sure what to say about that, so you can think about that. Uh, I'm not particularly comfortable with that, but I think that may be more faithful to the text than anything else. He thinks of verse 8, Apliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Urbanus was a fellow worker in Christ. Stachus is my beloved. Some are approved in Christ. Uh, he brings some households. Maybe that means the head of the household either was deceased or wasn't a Christian. Um, they were workers in the Lord. Worked hard in the Lord. Greek roof is verse 13. A choice man of the Lord also his mother and mine. Rufus was a really common name. It's been found 374 times on Roman inscriptions from that era. And uh, Rufus' mother, and apparently mother and Paul as well. You know, Jesus said that you give up your family and you'll gain a hundred times as many mothers and brothers and sisters and all that. So Paul's got a mother and Rufus' mother. And we've all experienced some good mothering, fathering, brother and sistering and among brethren. What a blessing. And he names others. Some of them have saints that meet with them. Uh, perhaps uh, perhaps uh, this letter is going to be read, read by more than one congregation. Um, and uh, then he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. I don't believe he's trying to introduce some worship practice here as if, you know, we sing and we pray and we have the holy kissing period. And <laughs> I think he's saying greet one another with an affectionate greeting. What would have been appropriate at that point was a holy kiss. Uh, and that's pretty common in Brazil. Uh, now, they, they vary. Uh, that's diminishing in Brazil. When I first moved there, the common thing was, and they did it without getting their heads together, and they did it quick, and it was like, wow, how did you coordinate that so much? And they just kissed the air and touched cheeks three times. It's more common now to do it once. Usually women with women and women with single men. That would be their custom. But the idea is, greet one another affectionately. All the churches of Christ greet you. I might say, it is somewhat ironic that the only reference we have to the name we seem to have adopted almost exclusively for congregations is this passage. Um, 
Uh, there is certainly not some denominational title for churches in the New Testament. Uh, they didn't need that. They didn't think of themselves as a denomination needing to be distinguished from others. And I think it would be helpful if we were more consistent in not thinking of ourselves in denominational terms. We're this kind of a church. Uh, we are simply a church that follows the Bible, hopefully a congregation that does that in our local assemblies. Uh, so there's just a lot of greetings. Uh, you know, you think about the fact that the Lord knows all these people and cares about them. He, Paul has an interest in these ordinary Christians, so does the Lord. Um, it's also interesting, I'll point out this, Peter isn't mentioned. And if he was the Roman bishop at this time, as argued by Catholic scholars, it's an amazing that Paul would have mentioned him. Paul didn't know Peter. And you would have omitted the bishop of the church when you were writing all these greetings. So I think there's an indication Peter was neither the bishop of the church nor even president of Rome at this point. Not saying that Peter never went to Rome. But uh, at this point, at least, I don't think he was there. Paul would have mentioned him. All right, thoughts and comments down to 16. There's a lot of things in all that. Yes, Nick. A long passage like this that helps me, or maybe it's not super long, but like it's sort of repetitive. Yeah. It helps me to um, look for some repeated words and phrases, and it kind of stands out. Um, I had underlined at one point all of these people that were working for the Lord, like that comes up so many times. Um, you know, Prisca and Aquila were fellow workers, and Mary worked hard, and you, you start looking, that comes up a lot. And then another thing that comes up a lot of times is. Uh, they were working in Christ, in the Lord, etc. Et Good thoughts. Uh, amen. Exactly. Other comments, questions? What does that mean to work with the Lord, in the Lord? I think being in the Lord means that we have come into Him by our conversion to Christ, and we live in Him, everything we do is in Him, in a, in a metaphorical sense, in a figurative way. Other thoughts? Yes, Ben. Just for consideration, though, in verse 7, uh, the ESV translates that they are well-known to the apostles, as opposed to outstanding. And I saw a reference to Matthew 27, 16, the only other place that Greek word to use is notorious there in Matthew 27. Uh, so it, it, it may be that referring to the, uh, they're well-known that is not impossible from the word used. I don't think that's the most likely, but that is a possibility. That, that, that is not out of the realm of possibility, and uh, some of the translations do reflect that. Um, you said the 12, I'd say we, we think the 12, we think we've made up any, any others. And I'd say it's, it's just a, uh, I'll say, you have a group of people it starts out with 12. That's what we think of them. We get to, it does not mean to get up in others. Yeah. And then the idea, he said, well, well and just nothing gets like said. But I just listen to names and just give any compliment. To me, just have my name mentioned by him would be compliment. Right. So. Sure. Good point. That's true. And, uh, you know, Paul seems very conscientious about making sure he mentions everybody that he doesn't know that. Right. Oh, I can't remember where it is, but someplace Paul. Barnabas is also called an apostle. Yes, Acts 14, I think in both 4 and 14 of that uh, chapter, 
Some people say, well, he's an apostle because they were sent out by the church, by the church of Antioch. That's a possibility, but again, that should be another reference that, okay, maybe, but I'm not so sure that that's what uh, he's saying there. Acts 14, uh, 4, some with the apostles, and then 14, 14, when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul heard of it. So yeah, it's a good, another reference that would be most easily explained if we understood that there were others who were apostles besides just the twelve and Matthias and Paul. When you start getting a bunch of passages that are more easily explained by allowing more apostles, it starts making it more likely that perhaps we shouldn't just narrowly define that term. Jason. I think we just we tend to use the word missionary. I think the biblical term when he said the apostles. Maybe, I think it's hard to know exactly what the criteria are for these other apostles and what that means. Maybe that's what it means, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, there's a lot of question marks in some of that from me still, but I need to work on that more. But maybe that is the case, I don't know. Yes, Christine. Um, one problem that, I don't know, one question I have, I don't know, that's been raised to me four or five And it is probably the female. That's more likely. I think it's probably a couple, and her and Julia. Right? Can a female be an apostle? Perhaps. Perhaps. I mean, if she was an apostle and she's a she, then a female could be an apostle. That's a question. Yeah. Yes, because he had been sent by God, so he was an apostle in that sense of one sent. Good point. Sorry. Um, admiring the things that are notable and memorable about his brethren to Paul, the things that when he thinks back on a group of Christians that he spent time with or people that he knows, the things that stand out to him about them has to do with their character, their service before God, not things like, you know, their hobbies or their appearances, like he doesn't say, the one with the red hair, or, you know, things that are, that are about their character that are Good thought, yes. We should look at people that way, too, much more in connection with the relation to the Lord than with some physical or social characteristic. Good thought, yeah. Anything else? Okay. Uh, how about 17 to 20? Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances, contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from men. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all, therefore I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So he says not to greet everyone. <laughs> there are those to keep your eye on. 
those who ought to be uh, avoided, these who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learn, and turn away from them. Now that implies that there is a definite standard of right and wrong. There is a teaching which you've learned, and those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to that teaching should be avoided. Uh, truth uh, is, is, is one, it's unity, it doesn't contradict itself. And those who teach differently from what the inspired apostles and prophets teach should be rejected. Everything ought to be measured by what God has stated is true, and everything that deviates from that is false. So he says, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. That's the only right thing to do. Draw the lines, avoid these brethren, they're dangerous, they're subversive, they're teaching wrong things. Uh, he says, such men, verse 18, are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. So these guys are self-focused, they're self-promoting, they're selfish. That, that's for their whole life is themselves. Um, he says, by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So uh, they, they use eloquence and, and so forth and manipulate people with what they speak. We've got to be careful about being impressed by speaking ability. There are a lot of con artists that talk good. And they can, they can make something sound good. They can make themselves sound virtuous. But examine what they're saying. They can be impressive, but are they teaching the truth? These guys by their smooth and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. We have to watch that and not end up being one of their deceived victims. He says, the report of your obedience has reached to all, therefore I'm rejoicing over them, well, rejoicing over you. They have a, a good reputation to live up to. It's going to be important that they hold the line on these things and not give in. I want you to be wise in what is good, innocent in what is evil. He wants them to be experts in the good and, and not even beginners in evil. Uh, and then he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Reminds me of uh, Genesis 3.15, where he uh, said that the seed of the woman would uh, crush the head of the serpent. Now that promise is extended to believers. Those who follow Christ participate in his victory over Satan. Were truth Crushes error. Um, and so we can we can have confidence, we can have strength in overcoming evil, sin, false doctrine, knowing that God will give us the strength to crush the serpent under our feet. Um, we don't fight a losing battle, but we must fight the battle. And 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 we've looked at some things that indicate we should be tolerant and accepting of one another. But there are limits, and there are standards, and there is the truth that must be supported, and must be promoted and defended, and we must not turn away from that, must not compromise that in any way, and we must mark and avoid those that teach those things that are contrary to that truth. I don't care how smooth talking they are, they're just more dangerous if they're that. Uh, they may be charismatic, but if they're, they're not teaching the truth, we need to avoid them. Thoughts and comments through verse 20. That's kind of a startling warning for this light in the letter. Brad? Um, 
just in regards to this flattery speech, is essentially Second Corinthians and one of the criticisms that Paul receives is that his speech is not very eloquent. And so this just shows the danger of becoming impressed with the wrong thing, so becoming impressed with what they actually preach. That's a good thought. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, we get too impressed with, ah, such a good speaker. Oh, great. You know, if he uses the power for the Lord, wonderful. But that's really not the criteria of whether or not he's edified. You know, somebody can be good speakers and say nothing, or worse, say something that's wrong. If we're mostly trying to be impressed by somebody's speaking ability, we're impressed with the wrong stuff. You know, the, you know, it's like a little kid being more impressed with the packaging than with the gift. You know, they play with the box a lot of times, remember? You know, but that's a little kid. They don't understand what really has value. When we're more impressed with the speaking ability than with the content, we really show how superficial we are. Chris? I find it interesting. You mentioned their obedience in verse 19. And at the very start of the letter, you mentioned almost saying the same thing about their faith. Yes. And is he, is he, I mean, I think he's saying it's, it's almost the same thing. You can't have one without the other. Yes. We actually made that point in chapter one. That's right. exactly right. I think he's saying the same thing. This is an obedient faith. This is a faithful obedience. He's really using them interchangeably. Very good point. Thanks. In uh, verse 17, it's telling them to turn away from those who call the kids and stumble and so forth. And that's exactly also why many people try to use 14 for. Most people try to use 14 right. to justify accepting these people. Right. Yes. So we do have a balance in the book that there is an area where we need to be accepting. There's an area where we need to be in talking. Sorry. The measurements here is what is the result of the teaching, the causation of dissensions and hindrance. When we see that happen, we know that they're teaching falsely because of what they bring okay. with that teaching. Good thought. Yeah, good thought. Other comments? Steve? Just a question. When it says Satan... The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Is that a generic soon, or is there anticipation of something against? I am assuming that's a generic soon. That he's just saying you can count on the Lord to be fulfilling His promise. And I mean, I'm assuming Satan, represented by these false teachers, will be crushed. But that, there may be something more specific than that he's looking at. I don't know. Other thoughts. Let's do 21 to 27. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. And so do Lucius and Jason and Sospater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me, and the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. And Cordus, the believer, <coughs> the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past but now is manifested by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. Well, this is kind of greetings in reverse. Greetings from those who are with Paul to the Romans. Timothy, mentioned in most of Paul's letters, I think 10 of the 13, he greets you. 
So that these other brethren that were kinsmen of Paul, in verse 21, again, I'm assuming fellow Jews. And then verse 22 is interesting. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. That's a little disconcerting. We were assuming Paul had written the letter. <laughs> Something to find out what Paul at all was Tertius. So what does that mean? Well, as we understand, Paul didn't actually do the writing normally of his letters. A lot of times he wrote the conclusion, but he used the secretary. Amanuensis is the technical term, I think. And uh, in this case, it was Tertius. So I'm assuming that Paul told Tertius, hey, you can write your own greeting. And he did. And uh, so that's, that's interesting. Uh, you know, wouldn't have been uncommon, especially in their era, for to use someone who would actually do the writing. Um, Gaius, host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. And Barnas, the brother. So there were various ones, including a politician in the city that was a Christian, Erastus, uh, who was greeting them. Uh, I, I assume, again, we're in the city of Corinth. I think that's uh, the place from which Paul is writing Romans. Uh, it's interesting, you've got Tertius in verse 22, Quartus in verse 23. Uh, you know, there, there's a passage that talks about Secundus. I don't remember where it is. Uh, you know, it makes you wonder if they were all from one family, you know. <laughs> Probably not, but uh, maybe it's almost like saying the second, the third, the fourth, and so forth. Uh, but these are the people that are sending greetings to them. And then Paul concludes with a really deep final statement. You know, I guess it wouldn't be Romans if there wasn't a deep final statement, right? We kind of need something like that to conclude. Now to him, you have to really think about this a step at a time. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, According to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. Kind of lose yourself in the middle of that. What he's ultimately saying is now to him... Uh, who can do these things through the only wise God, be glory forever. He's praising God. This is a closing expression of praise. But he's in the middle of that speaking about this uh, gospel, this preaching of Jesus, this revelation. The revelation was a mystery. It was a mystery in the sense it had been unrevealed. The gospel was not exposed. It was not manifested in its fullness until Jesus came. But it's now manifested. And even through the prophets, you've got a lot of statements about it. And, uh, and, and, and so this, this gospel has been made known to all the nations. You know, this, there's all that constant emphasis throughout the New Testament on the universalness of the gospel. Universal need, universal preaching, universal application. This is for all the nations. How many times do you see that in Romans and so many other passages as we kept emphasizing when we're talking about chapter 15. This constant view of the whole world needing the gospel. This is a, a message for all peoples everywhere. They have that passion, that mission spirit in the New Testament leading to obedience of faith. And of course, 
that's the kind of faith we have in Romans. All the way from beginning to end, he's not talking about the dead faith of James. He's talking about an obedient faith. To the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. It's fitting that a letter that that has so much of the wonderful plan of God, purpose of God, should end by praising the wisdom of God through Jesus Christ. The whole letter of Romans is an exposition of the amazing wisdom of God. To God, to Jesus, be the glory forevermore. And and you just feel like that is the right way to end this letter. You know, we need to glorify God for for what he's done. Uh, He is the only wise God. And to him should be, be glory forever. That's just, just a very appropriate conclusion. That's how we should feel when we finish books like this. There's a lot of things we've learned, a lot of things we've thought about, a lot of practical applications, but ultimately, this book should cause us to glorify and praise God for his wisdom. Just be amazed at God. And there's so much to be amazed about by God. So much he's done, so many qualities he has. But in this Letter, as much as anything, you see the incredible wisdom of God. All right, thoughts and comments on the end of Romans. Do you think this Gaius is the same one that John wrote to who was very hospitable? He says he was host. You know, I don't know. I even doubt that it could be. It's hard to say. There's several Gaiuses throughout the New Testament. It's a very common name, so it's possible. Other thoughts? Yes. I have a question. Uh, what does he mean by he says prophetic writings? Yeah, I think he's saying that the prophetic writings also reveal things about Jesus. You know, it was manifested in Jesus, but the prophetic writings accompany that confirm that. Other thoughts? All right, well, thank you so much for your involvement to sharing this. Uh, and amazingly, we got through this. I didn't